Have you ever been stuck in a rut? Now, I don't mean a rut like the guy in the picture is in, but I mean a spiritual rut. I have. In fact, I have been in one. I have felt this way for quite some time. I have I've just sort of felt stuck in the same unchanging rut day after day, week after week for quite a, quite a while. But I dare say it's not just me that we've all felt this way at some point in our lives. It's probably safe to say there may well be some here tonight who feel like at the moment they're currently stuck in a rut. Perhaps you're stuck in a rut of sin. You feel like you can't break free of a particular sin. You're tempted by it on a consistent basis and you give in to it far more than you're able to resist it. Or maybe you're stuck in a rut where you feel like your relationship with Jesus has stagnated. The zeal and the excitement for your relationship that was once there has passed away. And your relationship with Jesus right now is little more than the habits that, that you maintain. Far more than it is the zeal for Jesus you feel in your soul. Perhaps you're stuck in a rut of a routine. Your days feel like you're stuck in a movie Groundhog Day where every day is the same as the day before. There's no change in your circumstances, your situation, your life, your spiritual condition. There's just nothing is ever different. There's any number of ways we could be stuck in ruts, but the result is always the same. We know changes need to be made in our lives. We probably have an idea of the kind of changes we want to make. We've likely even tried to make some of these changes, but we're still stuck in the rut we just can't seem to escape from. Now, the longer we stay in a rut, the more difficult it becomes to get out of our rut. And after a while, ruts can become just the way things are. And we really don't believe at that point there's any way out of them. Also, a danger of a rut is after a while we can get somewhat used to them and and comfortable with them. I mean, after a period of time, it's easier to stay in the rut than it is to put forth the effort to get out of the rut. However, tonight, I want to tell you we don't have to live in our ruts. We don't have to accept our ruts. In fact, the mindset of accepting ruts, I believe and I I know, is a demonic stronghold. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness, causing us to accept as unchanging that which is clearly contrary to the will and the word of God. Let me say that again. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness. Causing us to accept as unchangeable what is clearly contrary to the will and the word of God. So when it comes to ruts, I can say that those are clearly contrary to the will and the word of God. Simply because Jesus said he came to give us life and life more abundantly. Abundant life in Jesus is always the will of God. Abundant life is Jesus is always what the word of God is trying to produce within us. So anything encouraging us to accept anything less than the abundant life from Christ is a stronghold. And the abundant life Jesus came to give us is not the discouraged life of being stuck in a rut. My rut came to a head this morning when I was praying during this time. The Lord showed me some things I Believe will help me to get out of my rut. Believing the discouraged life of uh, being stuck in a rut isn't the abundant life Jesus came to give us. I'm going to share with you some of what God showed me today. Some of the things God showed me this morning were for me personally, my specific situation. Others, I believe, are general principles that will help us, help me, help us get out and stay out of our ruts. But before we get to those specific principles, I want to give you one overarching principle, and it's this. It takes intentional, 
disciplined, spirit-empowered effort to get out of a rut. It takes intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered effort to get out of a rut. Now, we need to understand every aspect of that, that sentence is important. Intentional. We may well drift into a rut, but we most certainly will not drift out of a rut. If we are not intentional about getting out of our rut, we will not get out of our rut. Disciplined. By disciplined, I mean consistent and our best. Occasional half-hearted effort will not get us out of our rut. Occasional half-hearted effort will get us into a rut, but it will not get us out of a rut. We must consistently put forth our best effort to get out of a rut. Spirit-empowered. Our own strength is sufficient to get into a rut. But our own strength is not sufficient to get out of a rut. We will not be able to get out of a rut apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit within us. And then effort. It takes legitimate effort on our part to get out of a rut. Falling into a rut is easy. But getting out of a rut is hard. And it requires hard work from us. So with this clear in our minds, let me give you three intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered actions to take. Number one, take responsibility. One of our first actions is to, to get out of our rut is to take responsibility. Now, there are two aspects of taking responsibility for our rut that we have to understand. First is take responsibility for getting into the rut. Right? Take responsibility for getting into the rut. Our culture is very much a blame culture and nothing is ever really our fault. We are culturally conditioned to find other reasons and other people to blame for what we've done. And this sort of victim mindset keeps us in our ruts. We must take responsibility and say we did this. About our ruts. Right? We did not deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus into our rut. We did not walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of our flesh into our rut. We did not keep in step with the spirit and end up in our rut. We, we did not walk in the light of the word and end up in our rut. We made choices at some point. We made decisions. And these decisions resulted in actions and these actions led us into our rut or were the actual cause of our rut. But we must take full responsibility for getting ourselves into our rut. Now, by saying taking responsibility for our rut, for getting into our rut, I'm not saying our lives are all hunky dory and beautiful, easy when we made the decisions and took the actions leading to our being in a rut, because this may not be true. Taking responsibility for our for getting into our rut is not to say we don't have a natural disposition that makes falling into ruts easy, because we may. Taking responsibility for getting into our ruts is not to say we don't have outside stressors like financial issues, marital issues, work-related issues, health-related issues, etc. that makes falling into ruts easy because we may. Taking responsibility 
for falling into our rut is not to say we're not under direct spiritual attack intending to push us into a rut because we may be. Rather, taking responsibility for getting into a rut is saying, regardless of any other circumstances in my life, I made the decisions and I took the actions that led me to be in my rut. And this is always the case. It is always our responsibility. Notice what God's Word says. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful. So He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so you're able to endure it. First, notice the temptations we face are no different from what the rest of humanity faces. And there's, I think, two sides to this. One is, I think, an issue of, of comfort. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who faces temptations. Other people, every other people in the world faces them as well. Another side is humbling. Mine aren't unique. Mine may be different than reds, but mine aren't stronger than reds. They're not worse than reds. We're all tempted. Now, for our context tonight, this means everyone faces temptations to make decisions and take actions leading to ruts. Any person, any person in the world can end up in a rut in their life. We all face temptations for that. So we have that in common. And ours are not harder or different or special in ways the rest of the world just can't comprehend. We're all faced the temptation. Second, notice the disciple of Jesus has an advantage over humanity in general. Our advantage is a faithful God who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. So in every temptation, God is active and not passive. God is not standing back watching, seeing how we're going to respond. God is there in that moment doing something to ensure the temptation is not so great. We're backed into a corner with no way out other than to sin. For our context tonight, this means no matter what external pressures we're facing, no matter how much pressure we're under, we're never actually forced to make decisions and take actions leading to ruts. God ensures we don't have to make those decisions and take those actions. And then third, our faithful God always provides a way of escape. This is what he does. Not only is he active in ensuring the temptations are not more than we can bear, he is active ensuring we have a way out. Again, so for every temptation to sin that would come into our life, God is there holding some of the weight up, if you will, to ensure it doesn't crush us and we have no other choice. And then he's also there saying, go that way and you can escape. For our context tonight, Regardless of what external pressures we may be facing or what pressure we're under in our life, 
there are always ways for us to make decisions and take actions that do not lead to ruts. Always. Our faithful God ensures that is always the case. We must take responsibility for getting ourselves into whatever rut we're in. That's the first part of take responsibility. The second part of taking responsibility is take responsibility to get ourselves out of the rut. You and I, we are responsible for getting ourselves out of our ruts. I cannot get you out of your rut and you cannot get me out of my rut. We can help each other. We can encourage each other. We can be sure we're not adding to the pressure leading to it. But but in the end, each person is individually responsible to put forth intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered effort to get out of whatever rut they may be in. Now, I I mentioned I, I have been in a rut And the reality is I'm responsible for the rut I have fallen into. And I am responsible for doing whatever it takes to get myself out of the rut. Nobody anywhere in the world is responsible or to blame for me being in the rut I'm in. No one other than me, that is. No one anywhere in the world is responsible To get me out of the rut. No one but me that is. And if I'm not willing to accept those things as true. I will never. Ever. Ever. Get out of my rut. And what's true for me. Is true for you. There is no other human. On the planet. Other than you. To blame. For you being in whatever rut you may be in. And there is no other human on the planet. Other than you. Who can get you out of your rut. And if you're not willing. To take that kind of responsibility. To accept those things are true. You will never. Never. Ever. Get out of your rut. Our blame culture may ease our conscience, but it does not help us with our ruts. It digs them deeper and keeps us from ever being able to climb out. We must take responsibility. I must take responsibility. You must take responsibility. We must take responsibility for being in our rut. And we must take responsibility to put forth intentional Disciplined and spirit empowered effort to get out of the rut. Second, seek Jesus first. So take responsibility, seek Jesus first. Now, when I say seek Jesus first, I'm not just talking about seeking Jesus for help, though I do mean that, and I'll talk about that in a bit. What I mean by not just seeking Jesus for help is when we get into our ruts. By the time we realize there's a problem and we're trying to solve it, probably 
our time with Jesus has already taken a hit. Now maybe the ruts you fall into are different than the ruts I fall into. But when I get into a rut, I struggle with my praying. And I struggle with my study of God's Word. I struggle to pray. And I struggle to study God's Word. But not only do I struggle to do it, I struggle while I do it. I struggle. When I'm in a rut, I struggle to pray. I struggle to stay focused while I'm reading God's Word. And that struggle, allowing that to say, I'm just, I'll do it later, I'll catch up later, digs my rut deeper. Can you relate to, to that? So when I say seek Jesus first, I'm saying reestablish your time with Jesus. Get back to praying regularly. Get back to studying God's Word regularly. Do whatever it takes to get back into the Word and back into a regular time of prayer. Now, as you're reestablishing your time with Jesus, begin to seek Jesus and His help First, And I say first because often when we realize we're in a rut, we look to people other than Jesus to help us out of our rut. We look to our own ingenuity. We come up with our ideas what might get us out of our rut. We go to other people and we ask them for advice on how to get out of our rut. We Google, how do I get out of a rut? Then, when those things don't get us out of our rut, we begin to seek Jesus for His help. To get us out of our rut. We must retrain ourselves. In how we respond. So we turn to Jesus first. Now one of the reasons I said reestablish. Time in the word. And in prayer. Alongside seeking Jesus first for help. Is Jesus will often use these ordinary times of prayer. And the ordinary times in the word. To lead us. Out of our rut. As we seek Jesus' help to get out of our rut, we need to pray more than Jesus help me, though that's a good prayer to pray. We need to pray for Jesus to show us many things. We need Him to show us what's wrong in us that's led to the rut. We need Him to show us how to respond to the wrong that's in us that's led to the rut. And then we need Him to show us what actions to take to climb out of our rut. And a great prayer to pray along these lines is the prayer of the psalmist. Search me, God. Know my heart. Put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now this familiar prayer from the psalm can be used as a model to pray very specifically for Jesus to show us how to get out of our rut. There are four prayers we can pray from these two verses. First, Search me. When we pray for Jesus to search us, we are praying for Him to search our hearts specifically. Our hearts are an extremely important part of who we are. In God's Word, the heart is the the core of our being. What is in our heart comes out in our speech. What is in our heart comes out in our life. So whatever in our life has led to our rut had its origins in our heart. And so we're asking God to search our heart, asking Jesus to search our heart and expose whatever there. 
to show us the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's in our hearts so we can know. The condition of our hearts will play a huge role in leading us into a rut. And the condition of our heart will play a huge role in getting us out of a rut. So we pray, search me. Then we pray, test me. A test me prayer invites Jesus to perform a critical evaluation of our thoughts, our minds. Two areas of our thoughts Jesus will test. Our focus and our motives. Our focus is what we're thinking on. Right? Philippians 4.8 tells us to think on things that are right, true, good, pure, things that are lovely, things that are noble, things that have a good report. Colossians 3.2 tell us to set our minds on things above and not things below. What we think about, what we think on, will play a huge part in getting us into the rut. Often our thoughts have are a part of the reason we're in the rut. We thought a certain way, we focused on a certain thing, and that has led us into the rut. So we need Jesus to show us, test my thoughts, what am I thinking on, and show me what is wrong with that. And then our motives are the reasons we do what we do. The thing about motives is they're sneaky. You and I are the only ones who know what you and I, or why you and I are doing the things that we're doing. We can say I'm doing it for this reason, but have something entirely different going on in here as the why we're doing it. And the why matters. When we look in God's word, our motives matter. And our motives can be a big part of what plays to get us into our rut or out of our rut. When we're praying for Jesus to test us or test our motives... We, we follow the example of the psalmist who in another place prays for God to put him on trial, to cross-examine him and test his motives and affections. Our thoughts play a huge part in setting the course for our lives. What we think about will determine a huge part in how we live and what we do in our day-to-day life, including the decisions we make and the actions we take leading to a rut. Including the decisions we make and the actions we take getting us out of our rut. Our thoughts play a huge role in getting us in and getting us out. So we need Jesus to test our thoughts. But we also want Him to break us, break me. What is our attitude toward our attitudes or our actions or our motives or our thoughts which Jesus reveals to us that are not pleasing to Him? The idea of praying for Jesus to break us says, see if there's any hurtful way in me. The idea with this, we want Jesus to And to do two things in this. One, not just reveal the stuff that's there, but make sure we know His attitude, how He feels about the stuff that's revealed. 
But we don't just want to know how he feels about it. We want to feel the way he feels. If what we're doing breaks his heart, we want it to break our heart. We don't want it to say, oh, yeah, that is what I think. Oh, there you go. We want to be bothered and broken by it so that we can be brought to a place of repentance. If we aren't concerned about the wrong things in our heart and our mind that have led us to the rut, we're not going to repent of them, renounce them, and be able to get out of our rut. We need Jesus to break our hearts over our sin, over the things He reveals, and then bring us to a place of genuine repentance. A lack of brokenness over our sin can surely lead us into a rut. And a lack of brokenness over our sin, or and, and brokenness over our sin can help us get out of our rut. And then the final part of this is lead me. Praying for Jesus to lead us has many implications. It means praying for him to lead us to get the things out of our lives he doesn't want in our lives. In a general sense, it means praying for Jesus to show us what to do in any given situation which we may experience in our life. In our context tonight, it means praying for Jesus to show us exactly what we need to do to get out of our rut. Right? Lead me. These things are, you've shown me these things. How do I get rid of them? How do I put them down? What do I need to start doing so I can climb out of my rut? Jesus absolutely knows the way out of our rut. In fact, he is the only one who knows the way out of the ruts we find ourselves in. Being unwilling to follow Jesus leaves us in the rut. But following Jesus Not only will it lead us out of our rut, it is the only way out of our rut. Trying to do something other than what he leads us to do will not work. In a very real way, seeking Jesus to search us, test us, break us and lead us is a prayer of surrender to Jesus. When we pray for Jesus to search us, test us, break us and lead us, we are surrendering Everything to him, our minds, what we think on, even how we think about the issues of the day, our motives for why we do the things we do. We're surrendering our hearts, right? who we love, how we love, what it means to love, what where our affections and desires are. In the world, we're surrendering our hands to Jesus. What we do, what we don't do, how we do the things we do. We're surrendering our feet to Jesus. Where we go, where we don't go, how we act when we go where we go. We're surrendering our eyes to Jesus. What we look at, what we don't look at, how we view people and the world around us. We're surrendering our ears to Jesus, what we listen to, what we don't listen to, and how we listen to what we do listen to. There is no aspect of our lives not affected by praying for Jesus to search us, test us, break us, and lead us. 
When we pray for Jesus to search us, test us, break us, and lead us, we surrender our values, priorities, attitudes, actions, reactions, morality, preferences, money, time, hopes, dreams, plans, and everything else to Jesus. Seeking Jesus to get out of a rut is serious business. It's not a game. It's not a formality. It's not something we can do half-heartedly. We must be all in to seek Jesus in this way. And if we're in a rut today, then we must put forth intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered effort to get out of our rut. And this starts by seeking Jesus first. Seek to reestablish your time with Him. Seek Jesus to search us, test us, break us, and lead us. And then finally, reject complacency and apathy. Complacency is an attitude saying, I'm just fine like I am. Apathy is an attitude saying, I just don't care. There is and there will always be a pull to complacency and apathy. Because complacency and apathy appeal to our sinful nature's desire to do what is easy what is convenient, and what is comfortable. It is always easier to be complacent than it is to put forth intentional, disciplined, spirit-powered effort. It is always easier to be apathetic than it is to put forth intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered effort. The flow of of culture, the flow of the river goes complacency and apathy. And we don't have to do anything to follow that path. We just stop resisting it all and we'll be carried along. And that'll be easy. We have to know that. And we have to know that the pool is always there and then we have to resist it and we have to reject it because Complacency and apathy will never allow us to get out of our rut. Complacent people never escape their rut. Apathetic people never escape their rut. When we're complacent or apathetic, we don't respond to the Word of God or to the Spirit of God, which are leading us out of our rut. When we're complacent and apathetic, we don't put forth a whole lot of intentional effort to get out of our rut. We just go along and we stay the same and we follow the same path day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. When we're complacent and apathetic, we learn to live our lives just the way things are. This is just how it is. We do this even if things are far from the way we want them to be, the way Jesus wants them to be. Instead of living anything that resembles the abundant life Jesus came to give, we merely survive. Instead of our lives being conformed to the image of Christ, we just continue the same old, same old year after year. We never make any progress. We never make any changes. Nothing's ever any different. We just exist. And what we do is we learn to live with the status quo of living in a rut. This isn't what's best maybe for God's will, but it sure is easy. 
And after a while, it's comfortable to stay in the rut as well. And when we complacently accept the status quo of living in a rut, we pretty much guarantee we never actually escape it. I want to give you some reasons why we should reject complacency and apathy. And there is one overarching reason and then maybe 30 follow-up reasons. Number one, the one reason is because of who we are in Christ. God our Father did not send Jesus His Son to die on the cross, rise from the dead, and then send the Spirit to indwell us after He saved us for us to live complacent, apathetic lives, walking in a rut day after day, week after week, year after year. We don't have a time for me to go deep into any of these, but I just want to show you a bunch. And I hope, I hope you can read it. I had to stop because it was getting too small to read. But this is... All of this, all of these things are true in you if you're a born-again disciple of Jesus. These are true of you if you feel this way or if you don't. These are objectively true of you because of what God has done in you, through you, and for you because of Jesus Christ. This is not even remotely the, the full spectrum of who we are in Christ. This is just a few things from the first three books of Ephesians. I, I ran out of space to cover everything in Ephesians. But just to, to quickly go through this. As a disciple of Jesus, a born again disciple of Jesus, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Not some, not a few. Every spiritual blessing. We have been chosen and adopted by God. Think about that. Chosen. That means in eternity past, when God looked into the future, into our day, and saw the day of our redemption, He, he chose us. You and I, we did not wake up one day and say, I need Jesus and flee to Christ. God reached out to us first. He made the intentional decision to reach out to us, to prick our hearts with the Word and with the, with the Spirit and draw us to Jesus. It was His choice. And when we responded, He adopted us as His very own children. We have been redeemed and forgiven through Jesus. There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. His blood has covered all of our sins. And God the Father remembers them no longer. Any condemnation we ever feel is not from God. It's not real. Jesus has redeemed us from that. We are sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. Who indwells us and is a down payment of all of the things God has promised He would do in us and through us and for us. God intervened when we were spiritually dead. When we were spiritually dead children of wrath and made us trophies of His grace. Ephesians 2, 1-7 through 7 has this terrible depiction of humanity. 
following the course of the world, laid out by the prince of the power of the air, children of wrath. And, and we would have all stayed that way, except it says, but God. But God. But God intervened. But God saved us from that. But God did a work in our lives. We were dead. We didn't make the choice. The Spirit reached out and quickened us and called us to God. Think about how great that is. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to fulfill a God-ordained purpose. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And at that salvation... We have been made new and there is a purpose for us, a God-ordained purpose. Not, not, a, not a drifting and a going down the lazy river. Not a, a, a rut and just doing the same thing and staying the same. The great and awesome God of heaven has something specifically for each of us to do. God gave us a hope. When we were without hope. It was a point where we did not know God. We were separated from God. We didn't have the promises of God. And we were without hope in this world. But God again intervened. And He saved us. And He filled us with His Spirit. And He brought us near to Him. Caused us to know Him. And He has given us a a hope. A hope of the future. A hope of what He will do. We have confident and consistent access to God. As disciples of Jesus, we can cry out to our Father day or night about anything in our lives. And He hears and He cares. Bows His ear to listen to our faint cries. Cares about what's going on in our lives. We are part of the family of God. We are not alone in this world. We have brothers and sisters from our church to other churches all across the world. We have a we are part of a very large and a very glorious family with God as our father and Jesus as our elder brother. We are bound together by the spirit of God who lives within us. We are strengthened with God's power through God's Spirit in our inner man. There is mighty power at work in us to enable us to do all the things God would have us to do, such as get out and stay out of ruts. Jesus dwells in our hearts through faith. He is near. He is always near. We are loved by Jesus with a love which surpasses knowledge. Meaning it's too great to fully comprehend. You think, well, I know a lot of people who love me, but boy, we don't know too many people who willingly died horrible deaths on our behalf to save us, to free us from crimes we had committed actually against them. Jesus loves us in a way we do not fully understand no matter how much we've been taught about the love of God. We can be filled with all the fullness of God. What an amazing phrase that is from Ephesians 3 and 19. I don't know what it means, but I know that's what I want to live. And the exceeding abundant, unimaginably great power of God is at work in us. 
always want to point this out. When we talk about Ephesians 3.20, we talk about the exceeding abundant power of God that can do more than we could ask or imagine. And we often, if we're not careful, we stop there. But the verse goes on to say, according to power which is already at work within you. Think about that. The next verse goes on to talk about the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and spoke worlds into existence is in you. It is in me because we are disciples of Jesus. And again, this is only a part of who God's Word says we are in Christ. Every single one of those statements is true of every single born-again disciple of Jesus. Why then should we ever let complacency and apathy lead us to stay in a rut? We should not. We should reject it. We should renounce it. We should violently and angrily rebel against living and staying in a complacent, apathetic rut. That is not who God has saved us to be. That is not what the Spirit within us leads us to be. That is not what Jesus died for us to be. And anything telling you otherwise is a lie from the devil. It is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness, leading you to accept as unchangeable what is clearly, clearly contrary to the will and the want of God. Reject complacency and apathy. So are are you stuck in a rut tonight? If so, are you ready to put forth intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered effort to get out of it? If so, you've got to start by taking responsibility. Take responsibility for being in your rut. Take responsibility to get out of your rut. Seek Jesus first. Seek Him regularly in prayer and the Word. Seek Him to search, test, break, and lead you. Seek Him surrendered to do whatever He shows you. And reject all complacency and apathy. Remember who you are in Christ and let this spur you on. My experience is Jesus leads us out of our ruts when we come to Him in this way gives us very specific things to do. And if we do them, we will find an end to our rut. Now again, it does take intentional, consistent, disciplined effort. There's no guarantee we're going to pray tonight. The answer is going to be revealed immediately. Tomorrow morning, the world's going to be a better place right out of our rut. It's not that, it doesn't typically always work that way. But if we put forth the effort, we put forth the right attitude, Jesus will always come through. He will always show us what to do. He will always lead us out of our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for all you have given and all you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for who we are in Christ. We know we could have not... We could not have done any of those things ourselves. We don't deserve any of those things to be true of us, but they are. They are by your grace. They are because of your love. They are because of the blood Jesus Christ shed on our behalf. Remind us of who we are and let us never settle for less than what you want us to be. 
Father, forgive us for the action, the decisions we've made and the actions we've taken leading us into the rut. Stir up just a holy discontent, the status quo of the rut in our lives so we would not stay there. Lead us out. Fill us with your spirit and help us help others along the way. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.